night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zox Show. <clears throat> joining, joining me this morning is Dr. <clears throat> Randy Hutter. Uh, her new book, and I got the book right here, is Arouse, the History of Hormones and How They Control Just About Everything. Uh, Dr. Epstein is a, well, she's an, she's a MD and a MPH. She's also the author of Got Me Out, is an adjunct professor at Columbia University and lecturer at Yale University. And her writing has appeared in the New York Times, Psychology Today, blogs, among many other things. Uh, she lives in New York City. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you here, Dr. Epstein. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Well, as I said before the show, I really did, I really liked your book. It, it is you know, you would think not necessarily that a book about hormones is a page turner, but it is because you sort of you put the science in the context of stories of the doctor's stories and also of the patient's stories. So I guess my first maybe it's an observation is, you know, hormones. I, I don't know that all of us think too much about hormones in terms of what they are and how they affect us and the impact on our behavior. But we should. Right. I mean, because hormones affect everything that we do. Um, so let's start with that. Yeah. Sure, we should. And, you know, just to go what you were saying in the beginning, yeah, I do, when I teach and when I write, I think, and maybe when I read, we all need good stories. So I think I went out of my way to try to find the good stories about the patients and about the doctors so that we're really listening to a story sprinkled with the science uh, rather than a textbook, because I think none of us like to really get immersed in a textbook unless we really have to. And when it comes to hormones, yes, I mean, People think, oh, hormonal, meaning just cranky, and that what hormones are, this sort of vague notion of our moods. But it's really a very simple definition. A hormone is just any chemical that's released from a gland and hits a faraway target, which sounds, well, just sort of ordinary, that everything sort of works that way, like chemistry in the body. But I like to think of it as like our internal Wi-Fi. That's what makes hormones so remarkable because it's like when you send an email. It just doesn't go out to everyone, we hope. It goes to a specific target. That's how our hormones work in our body. And it was a very revolutionary concept in the early 1900s when we thought that every message in the body had to travel along nerves. And the more we know about our hormones now, the more we can understand truly the biological basis, not just of how we grow, how we burn our food, but also our mood swings and how we, how our urges, our desires, and the intricacies of how all of this interacts with our immune system. So let's start back from the beginning. You're talking about the 1900s. We had no idea that we had, I think you used in the book secretions or chemicals or whatever we thought as you just said everything uh, that affects us is comes from the nerves the brain uh, I guess and 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 then the brain sending messages through the nerves in terms of all of the behavior all of our behaviors so how, how did it all begin I mean I, I'm a, you know I think it's very interesting about the physicians and the researchers who just you know had the I guess the wherewithal, or in some cases, 
they were quacks, uh, some cases not, but who came up with some of these theories in terms of what hormones do or defining hormones. So start from, the as you said, in the 1900s. Sure. I mean, I'll go back a little bit before that. So okay. much in science, things always, things happen much earlier than we thought, and then it gets ignored. So not only, I mean, a few things that you need in science that make the best investigators out there. One is asking the right question. You know, before you can come up with this wonderful answer, you have to know the question to ask. And then you have to be able to understand the ramifications. So we had this doctor in Germany in 1848 who asked the right question, a kind of crazy question. He wanted to know if you took a gland and he was thinking testicles and he had roosters to play with. He was thinking, if I took a rooster testicle and took it off and put it back anywhere in its body, would it still do its job? I have no idea what dawned on him to ask that question, but it is precisely how hormones work. They work from anywhere in the body. So he did this wacky experiment, which I describe in the book, in his backyard, castrating some roosters, watching them get fat and lazy. Farmers have known that for years. But then he took a testicle from one rooster and implanted it into the intestinal loops of another castrated rooster. So that one rooster had nothing between its drumsticks, but yet this testicle in its belly. And it worked. It sort of, you know, got him his comb redder. He was chasing hens. And so this German doctor wrote a scientific article really defining how what they call these internal secretions work. Only thing is he just shoved that journal onto a rack and didn't promote it, didn't really realize he was really changing our understanding of the human body. So his notions got ignored for about 50 years. And it wasn't until 1905 when doctors in England were doing similar sort of experiments. They weren't in their backyard. They were in a lofty laboratory in London. Um, and they dug out this article from 1848 and along with their research realized, wow, all these glands have something in common. And it was pretty remarkable because before the 1900s, you had your adrenal gland doctors and your pituitary gland doctors, your testicle doctors. You know, it wasn't that we didn't know these glands existed, but we didn't realize there was this unifying theory and reason to bring them all together into one field until the early 1900s. So that was the birth of endocrinology, or when you brought all of these sort of disparate section or whatever, doctors studying different parts of different glands and all together. Yeah, we it was the birth of endocrinology and the birth of the word hormone. And I like to say, because people hear the name of my book, it's called Aroused. And people are like, wow, is it a sex book? Well, there's a little of that in it. But here's why I named the book Aroused. In 1905, when Ernest Starling thought, okay, here's this concept of these hormones that arouse, well, he didn't say hormones, they didn't have a name yet. He said there are chemicals in the body that arouse other cells, that excite other cells. I need a word for that. So he did what doctors do. They like to go to the Greek to find words. It gives them very highfalutin sounding names. He went to a friend at Cambridge University who is a classicist and said, 
what's the word in Greek that means to arouse? Again, as he was thinking, arousing things in the body. And his friend said, well, the word hormoa in Greek means aroused. What about something along those lines? So that's how he came up with the word hormone. Well, aroused, you're right. I mean, I was have been reading your book for the past week, and uh, wherever I've been, if someone sees the title aroused, they automatically think I'm, you know, it's something about sex, which it is, as you say, but um, it it really it draws attention. I'll say that it's a great title. It is a good title. But let's talk about aroused in terms of like because you have a lot of examples about hormones and and uh, menopause and puberty and intersex and transgender and so you know uh, I mean those are some of the topics. Um, maybe we should choose one of those and, and talk about hormones in that context. Sure. I mean, we're learning menopause, for instance. You know, either, right, I have people look at the book and see the title aroused and think, oh, it's a sex book. And then I have women of my age, I'm 55, when they hear I'm writing about hormones, they think I've written 300 pages about menopause. I do have a chapter on menopause, but there's other things in the book as well. The fascinating thing, though, what we're learning about menopause is there is there is new research, and I get into it in the book, to really look at what the basic biology of, of menopause. And when we mean, we know the biology of menopause is your periods start to slow. But why is it that some women, not all, but most of us have had hot flashes? Why is it that some women are having trouble sleeping and some of the other symptoms and dryness? Um, we're learning more about that basic biology, and there are some drugs in the pipeline that are non-hormonal for women who, choose, who would rather not or can't be on hormone replacement therapy. And we're also learning more about the pros and cons of hormone replacement therapy because it seems like there's either this is the greatest or you shouldn't take it at all, and women are very confused. Um, one of the things that's interesting that a lot of women I spoke to were in some ways relieved to hear that we think, especially if you haven't gone through menopause yet or you never will if you're a man, you tend to think hot flashes means you're just a little hot for a bit. But for many women, it's like this internal furnace that is just way turned up. And you don't just feel hot, you almost feel claustrophobic, which can really feel like you're panicking if you don't get enough air, if you don't open the windows. If you're in a subway or a bus, you feel like you've just got to get out of this enclosed setting right away. Many women don't think that's menopause. They think they're going crazy for the first time. They're having a panic attack for the first time. And I think even without thinking about therapy and how to treat it, when women realize, oh, that's just a hot flash. That's just a symptom of a hot flash that will last a few minutes. I'm not going crazy. I'm not becoming an anxious wreck for the first time. That in itself is very relieving to know. So we have to understand. So, in or, for, I mean, that's a good example. If we understand our hormones and how they operate, and estrogen, and the impact, well, this in this case in of menopause, it we don't panic. It, and and I I know so many women who uh, who as you're uh, giving that description, who um, that has happened to, they end up going to the emergency room of the hospital because they're terrified that something horrific is happening and, and, and you know, really do have panic attacks. So we need to understand all of this, is, I, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that's menopause. But now what about 
you, you talk about, I mean, I think this is this was interesting also. What did you say? It, embryos are, uh, you, I don't know if you call it unisex, but up until six weeks of gestation, and that's when we begin to either be male or female based on the hormones that are uh, circulating in the womb? Absolutely. So, you know, I like to tell people in the first weeks in the womb, we all look alike, just a furious multiplying orb of cells. And if you look into like any picture books of embryology, you'll see that, you know, this little sphere then turns into this curved oblong. It kind of looks like, you know, it goes from dinner roll to croissant. And then there's this flick of a switch, and there are these hormonal tugs that mold this unisex fetus into a boy or girl. And we know that we've discovered something called an anti-malarian hormone. It was named after the man who discovered it, or he named it after someone else. But it's a hormone that spurs the development to lead towards male organs, and it suppresses the female organs. We also think that as the ovary is starting to form, that there's more signals sent out. So it's a very complicated path, and what I was getting to in the book is it doesn't always go 100% one way and 100% the other way. There are babies that are born with a number of conditions that sometimes at birth from the external genitalia, it's hard to tell, is this a boy or a girl? The story that I tell in the book really goes back to the 1950s when we were really starting to appreciate gender that it's not just about whether you have an ovary or testicle or XX or XY. It can be more complicated. It goes to gender identity. Um, in the 1950s, the kind of culture that we had, it was very important. Doctors thought it was adamant that a baby look what we want, the normal look, the conventional look right at birth. So there were a lot of surgeries done on babies' genitalia. It's still done today to make sure externally this child looks exactly the way you expect a boy to look on the outside or a girl to look on the outside. Some of the things when we look back in history were pretty awful in terms of just making sure that the goal was looking good on the outside, not thinking about how this was affecting nerves or the surgery or how the child might feel on the inside. So things, I, things that are going on now among the intersex community, people that are born with, some people like to call it differences in sexual development, that we're trying to say and trying to even get... Um, ethics and laws passed to say that there should not be any genital surgery on these infants born with ambiguous genitalia because the surgery itself could be more damaging than not doing anything. There was never any health or medical reason except to make these kids look what people considered conventional or normal. When these kids reach, pu I have a question, because when they get old enough to, say, make a decision on their own, obviously these decisions are made if by the doctors and, and or their parents. Can it, if they themselves, the person themselves, wanted to have surgery um, later, is that possible or is that not sure. possible? Yeah. No, that's definitely possible. And now for some things, you have to, some of these things, it's not just really surgery. So there's a condition where babies are born XY and you expect 
XY to look exactly male on the outside. But these are children that are born with XY chromosomes, but their body doesn't respond for different reasons. It doesn't respond to the testosterone secreted by the testes. So because their bodies don't respond to testosterone, they, they look female on the outside. They will look 100% female on the outside, though because they're XY, they don't have a uterus or ovaries. Many of these children, they grow up, if their parents are open with them, they will look female on the outside. They consider themselves, they identify as female, yet they're infertile. Um, and, but they're XY chromosomes. And as long as there's been an openness now to discuss rather than keep it hidden from the child as they learn, as they grow up and can understand more, no surgery is needed. It's just really an understanding that their bodies are different from the typical female that looks that has a uterus and may look the same as they do on the outside. So they need so people need in that case they need acceptance and support Absolutely. which is yeah which is, which is happening fortunately and i think one of the young uh women in the book who went to haverford her just wasn't her that was her experience wasn't it would describe her experience cuz i think it fits into what we're talking about there's one woman I describe in the book, and I speak to her mother, and her mother is absolutely wonderful. And so she realized um, at, at a very young age that her daughter, who they thought was daughter XX, she had XY chromosomes and fit into this category of someone who just didn't respond to testosterone. And the, the mother's a wonderful woman. She's a doctor herself. And so she really always gave age-appropriate information to her daughter, even at the age of six, explaining that not every woman is able to get pregnant. And so she just explained it that way. So her daughter, you know, and there's other ways you can adopt. You can have children other ways. And when her daughter was older, she was very proud of herself. She's been very forthcoming. She's gone on Oprah to speak to make sure that other other women like herself do not feel embarrassed by their differences. And she's a mother now. She had um, she used an egg donor and her husband's sperm, and they have a child. And she's a physician herself. And I think people like this are wonderful for be for being able to come out and say, "No, I might not be conventional. I might not be exactly what everyone else is, but that's okay." You know, she's ne- never needed surgery. Some women do um, need some estrogen. For, uh, for because they don't produce enough estrogen. Other women, and that's important for your bones. Um, it might they might feel more comfortable with breast development, but it all depends individually. Other women with this syndrome, their bodies, the testosterone is converted to estrogen, so then they have they have enough of their own hormones. So a lot of this now can be managed with endocrinologists to make sure that people have the hormones that are healthy for them for bone development for other issues, but we're not, hopefully, we're really trying to get away from saying you have to look like everyone else from the outside. Well, and there was the tragic case, which you discuss in the book, which was in the news, I think, in the 70s, constantly, that Dr. Money at uh, Johns Hopkins, he has, well, he's no longer living, but uh, he was one of those doctors, I guess, who was considered 
not a quack. I, he had supporters on one side and distractors on the other side. But let's talk about his work because... He was a complicated guy. So, you know, on the positive side, he did, he was the one that coined the term gender to be used for people. You know, before it was sex and before it was, you know, you're XX, that means you're a girl, you're XY, you're a boy. He was really the one that said it has more to do with how you identify, how you act. So on the positive side, he also tried to convince, not always um, with success, but in the 1970s, he was really trying to convince the medical establishment that homosexuality was normal. It wasn't something that should be fixed. Um, He went to court to testify for an eighth grade teacher who got fired from his job because it was found out that he was homosexual. Um, And so John Money went on this teacher's defense. They lost. Um, So he did some things that were more accepting of people who were different. But he also did things that make a lot of people angry. he was accused, the doctors that work for him don't believe it, but he was accused of perhaps, oh, I think there was some sexual indiscretions he was accused of with some of the children that he took care of. It's never come out, but that was in a book. I spoke to the doctors that worked with him, and they said it was all nonsense, but we don't know. You know, no one knows what went on in those rooms. He also worked very closely with another doctor who adamantly believed that children needed to have surgery right away. And this was something that there's a lot of rightly so angry patients around today who had surgery when they were an infant. And we're talking surgery that if they thought um, a baby was born, a baby girl with an enlarged clitoris, which can happen, that they would amputate it. They took the whole thing off. They were not thinking this is going to destroy this future woman's sexual life. They were thinking, let's not make her seem odd for sleepovers or let's not make her feel funny when she's in elementary school. They also did things like in the very rare condition when boys are born with something called micropenis. It's a very rare condition. They would just take that off and mold his skin into something that looked like labia and a vagina, and they said, just dress him and raise him as a girl. John Money promoted a theory that we now know is wrong, that up until 18 months, I'm not sure how he got that cut off, up until 18 months, gender is malleable. So you could take a one-year-old and start dressing what you had thought was a boy in girl clothes and buy dolls, and this child then, like a blank slate, would feel like a woman growing up. There was no thought then of anything going on in brain wiring, which we now know it does. So that that's why he became controversial, and that's why a lot of people are very angry for those theories that, that were really entrenched in the medical establishment, this 18-month cutoff as if you're a blank slate up until 18 months. Yeah, so the repercussions for that are serious and sad with a lot of people uh, who ended up committing suicide, you know, being getting being depressed and confused and uh, isolated. Uh, so it really is important to talk about this. Um, and I kind of, the, the other thing is, you know, you have a chapter on transgendered. How does that fit in to all of this? Yeah, I intentionally keep 
intersex and transgender as separate chapters far away from each other because it is two different things. One is a baby born with ambiguous genitalia, and then there can be hormone studies and figure out you know, what this child needs, if anything, from the medical establishment. Transgender, we're now recognizing, first of all, it's much more common than we've, than, than we've thought. Um, the numbers are really um, guesstimates because it always shows that in areas like in states and in, in the United States, we're, being, we're identifying as transgender is more accepted, then the numbers are higher because people are going to answer surveys more honestly. Transgender is basically that someone down deep to the core knows that how they feel, how they identify does not match their external appearance. There is no blood test to say, ah, that's right, you are transgender. There's not even a way, though you see things in newspapers, oh, new study shows brain evidence. We're not there yet. There are studies, but, I mean, think about it. If you... If you had a brain on a table, which doctors do who study brains, and you sliced it open, you wouldn't be able to tell if it was a male brain or a female brain. So you certainly couldn't tell if someone who I might look male but identifies as female, whether that brain of that person fits more male or female. There's no test yet, but doctors do believe that there, that there probably is some real biological difference so that perhaps when a baby in those first few weeks is forming, we know that there's messages that get the genitalia looking one way or another. We also know that about the same time, there's probably some signals going on to the, in the brain that help form gender identity. We're not quite sure what those signals are. Typically, the signals in the brain match the genitalia. Sometimes they don't. The good news is that there's more and more clinics today and more and more doctors that are available to help children who might feel that, they, that they're identifying as transgender. There's hormones and there's surgery to help these children. How serious did I think about, well, and you were, when we were talking about uh, a menopause, you know, it's controversial, HRT, hormone replacement therapy, does it cause cancer, does it cause heart disease, or more so than if you don't take it. Um, so in this case, uh, the question I wanted to ask you is if you have, say, a, a child who's uh, at puberty and you start giving them hormones, um, I guess either estrogen or testosterone, and it has to be a lifelong kind of thing. What are the risks for that? I mean, it's interesting you say that. There was just a new study. Um, This new study showed that among transgender women, that someone who was born and given the label of man and now has, has, through surgery and hormones, identifying as a woman, so that means they're taking estrogen. There was just a large study showing that the risk of strokes and heart disease among transgender women is much higher than other women and also cis men, um, among men who were born men and identify as men. I spoke to some of the experts, and their feeling is not, wow, this is dangerous, we shouldn't do it. It's something to add to the risk-benefit analysis. It's something to say that if you are 
so depressed, and the suicide rate among untreated transgender people who identify as transgender is really high. So in terms of weighing the risks and benefits, I think what a study like this shows is that you really need to be under the care of an endocrinologist who can check your blood, who can check to see markers of heart disease so that if you are taking estrogen and your risks are increased, you're under the care of someone who can follow you and make sure that you're not at risk for these blood clots. And it's something to take into consideration. So So you need to be monitored. And I hate to cut you off. We only have a minute left. This is such, yeah, to me, it's fascinating. So uh, what I want everybody else to have the information as well, the title of doctor's book is Aroused, Dr. Randy Hutter Epstein, the history of hormones and how they control just about everything. I mean, we've only covered a little bit in terms of what uh, the information in the book. So, uh, Dr. Epstein, how, what website should we go to, to obviously to buy the you book? Can, yeah. Randy Hutter Epstein is my website where you can see information about the book. It's randyhutterepstein.com, H-U-T-T-E-R-E-P-S-T-E-I-N. And the book is available online, hopefully in your independent bookstore and wherever books are sold. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you inviting me. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvin Vora, Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Termino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me this morning is Eliza Factor, mother, author, and activist, and author of Strange Beauty, A Portrait of My Son. This Intimate, no-holds-barred memoir will forever change how we view those with physical challenges and the families that love them. It's the story of two little girls growing up in the shadow of their charming and fitful brother and of a mother and writer imagining the world through the eyes of her son, born with multiple disabilities, including cerebral palsy and autism. Eliza describes her pregnancy in the first few blissful months with Felix before the awareness after months of grueling and disheartening testing that their son's life and her own will not be at all as she had imagined. Ultimately, it is Felix and his sisters that inspire Eliza to find to found Extreme Kids and Crew, a nonprofit community center that connects with children with disabilities through the arts and play. Welcome to the show, Eliza. Nice to finally have you here. We got a little bit of a late start, but we'll try to get everything in. How are you? <laughs> I'm very good. I, I'm a, I'm actually in New Hampshire with my son, and uh, the technology, uh, communication technology up here is a little uh, creaky. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm in uh, Cape Cod, and uh, it's it's similar. But uh, anyway, we're connected now, and uh, we, I do want to talk about the book because you. It was I, I call it a tearjerker. I was sobbing through most of it. Um, not through the whole thing, but it is, it's inspiring. It's all those things I think that I described in the bio. But, um, l- let's start with Felix. Let's start with, you know, why you decided to write the book and really share very intimate experiences with him and with your family. Cause I think that's hard to do. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much, um, for your kind words. Um, I, you know, before I had Felix, I never knew anybody like Felix at all. Everybody I knew had gone to school and college and spoke one or more languages. Almost everyone I knew could walk. Um, you know, like I just, I I had seen people who had like major disabilities and um, like cognitive disabilities, but I, I hadn't understood how to 
connect with them. Like they just seem to occupy such a different world. I was kind of intimidated by them. And, um, and so when I had Felix, uh, I mean, at first coming to grasp the deepness of his disabilities was, you know, it was incredibly upsetting um, because I wanted for him what I had, you know, I wanted him to be able to run. I love running. I wanted him to be able to read. I love reading. Um, and, you know, slowly I started to understand he doesn't have those avenues, but he has other ones that are amazing. And, and he can show me things that I'd forgotten. Um, and, and I love, I love the things that Felix can show me. And so I guess I, what I wanted to do was to write a book to really just introduce him to a world that doesn't necessarily know what to do with him, doesn't necessarily understand um, the incredible insights and, and uh, just experiences that, that he has and, and can, um, you know, and can share with others if they can kind of switch their mind view a little bit. Well, Eliza, you were born, I mean, as you said, and uh, maybe we can be more, a little more detailed because you're in, you live in Brooklyn. Uh, as you said, you know, you're well-educated, your husband's a lawyer, um, you're in this community where everybody is, I'm not saying everybody is successful, but everybody is very uh, geared to um, accomplishing things and all those kinds of things. And then you get pregnant, because I want to start with actually what happened during Felix, yeah. Felix's, pre- your pregnancy, well, it's both of your pregnancies. Um, so what did happen and how, you know, when he was born, uh, you weren't, I guess, right away able to, weren't sure, you know, that, sure that there was necessarily anything wrong with him. But start with the pregnancy, because I think, I mean, that's obviously very revealing. Yeah, well, the pregnancy started out quite normally, but then I got the chicken pox halfway through and um, and had like four or five days where I didn't actually know if I would live um, and I was very worried about Felix, obviously, but like our lives were really like you're kind of on that precipice, like which way is this going to go? It's crazy having the chicken pox as an adult. It's it's like you're entering another universe. Um, How many months pregnant were you? I've... I was about four months pregnant. Four months. Um, yeah, and and I survived, and and Felix did too. But there was a different feel. Um, it, he felt different. He, before he had been like a kicker, like a, I imagined him like a tap dancer. And, and after that, he was very still during the chicken box. And then when we both began to recover, his movements were much swooshier. They were like a seal or a jellyfish. And I, I actually wrote a poem because I, I obviously was worried about what that meant. Um, but there wasn't anything. I, I wrote a poem calling him a squid and saying, if, if you were a squid, it would be okay. And, um, and then I kind of forgot about this poem because everyone's like, he's fine. You know, he's probably fine. There, there's, there's no that was a question that I had. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you because it, when I was reading the book and it sounded like, I mean, the, I mean, these, the, the, the physicians reassured, or you had not, not just one, but I guess a couple or at least several physicians reassured you, well, the, having the chicken pox won't necessarily, Necessarily make a difference or affect the baby. 
Um, there was this kind of very optimistic or positive approach, but it's, was that realistic? I mean, looking back because, yeah. Well, I think, you know, doctors in our country have to deal with a lot of laws and lawsuits and stuff. So they have to be very factual and careful about what they say. And they were worried about my pregnancy um, because the, after the chickenpox, my amniotic fluid went, like, it just kind of went away. Um, I was put on major bed rest. Um, so, like, they were very worried about that. They couldn't necessarily connect that to the sickness I just had just because of the way laws work. You have to be, in a, in a this way language works, like, you know, it's, it's, there's probably a connection, but you can't say for sure. Um, and, you know, there's been, I've heard different things from different doctors about uh, chickenpox. Some of them, you know, to call it like the measles, others, you know, which very often leads to birth defects. Um, there's just different information out there. Um, but, yeah, they, I mean, definitely my pregnancy was considered risky and there was a lot of, concern around it but there wasn't any like hard cold fact like your son is going to be disabled he won't be able to walk or talk you know there was just like oh this is a little off this is a little off but I couldn't you know I couldn't there wasn't enough information and you know in retrospect I'm grateful uh, just because I, I think I knew so little about people with disabilities then I, I think I, you know, I, you know, there was this moment where um, a genetic counselor was saying, you know, you can still get an abortion because there were all of these uncertainties all of a sudden, and I could feel Felix. I mean, I could feel his um, his you know, soul. Uh, I could feel his personality um, in me, and and I, I, I've just felt this real warmth and sweetness, and so the idea of having an abortion just seemed absolutely wrong. And, and I yeah. don't, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a, a strong pro-choice person, but, but I, you know, in my particular instance, it seemed absolutely wrong. And, um, so definitely not your choice. I, 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 yeah. I have a feeling that if, if I, if I had known that he wouldn't be able to walk and wouldn't be able to talk, I might ha- have done that thinking that that would have been, better for him um, just because I didn't know people like that I didn't know what a rich world there is you know I it just seems like an awful fate um, and so I, so I, I'm just saying in retrospect I'm kind of glad that I didn't know how disabled he'd be because I don't know how if I would have a, had the courage I, I want, to, to keep it I want to ask you a que- another question because we're short on time, but I, I wanted to ask you, because you talked about in the beginning and, and, and also in the book, um, you know, sort of, you were in a bubble. You had never connected with people with disabilities or children with disabilities and had no idea about what, you know, it was all about, maybe just yeah. academically, but not really emotionally. How do you feel right. as a mother? Because as I was, re- as I mean, and for you, it's been a 
uh, there's been ups and downs and a struggle and all those kinds of things, but also it's just been a, a, a you know, a great ex a learning and a great experience. What about for Felix? So do you ever feel as a mother and, you know, because your child, and I'm using the word disabled, I don't know if that's, you want to use, yeah, that, you use it is, it is. Okay, I mean, so disabled. Definition. And, All yeah. right. As a mom of a, a disabled um, young man, the pain, do you ever feel like his, do his pain, I guess, you know, what's it like yeah. for him, oh the struggle, God. and yes, and that comes out in the book. Yeah. I want to talk about that because it's not just your enlightenment, and I'm using that <laughs> <laughs> lightly. Every now yeah. and then, a little yeah. bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of darkness. <laughs> exactly, but um, <laughs> Yeah, because no, that's hard uh, yes, for a mom. No. You don't want to see your child struggle, and then you have two other children, and, and they yeah. don't have to go through that's that. True. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess one of one of the things that you really do understand when you have kids with, you know, like Felix has such major disabilities. My daughters really don't appear to from like the conventional way we think about these things. They're they fit in marvelously. They're cute and athletic and do well in school and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the fact is what Felix goes through is what we all go through. It's just, you just see it. Like we're, all of us have these incredible struggles that were, go on inside. Um, and, and so much of our, our screwed up world is, is hiding that stuff. And with Felix, it's just there. I mean, the reason why I can bear his pain is because his joy and his humor are usually ascendant, and they're so enormous. I mean, they're like, it's like a helium balloon. I mean, like, you, you inhale his pleasure at life and his amusement at people and their <laughs> vanity and, and foolishness. <laughs> um, and... So he's wonderfully, um, I mean, he, he, he suffers, yes, he really suffers, um, but he also really enjoys his life, and, and that's what, what you want when you're a parent, right? You want to yeah. give just... that gift of life. Exactly. And, and we only have a couple minutes left, so this would probably be my last question, but then at some point... He be, as he grew up and he becomes stronger and becomes, you know, he has his uh, um, issues with a lot of physical things that are dangerous to himself and, and maybe to you or yeah. to the family. And you had to make the decision to put him uh, in, in a, a, a home. I'm calling it a home. But you say, I think you're visit. you said you're in New Hampshire. Um well, it's, he's in a school. I mean, it's a school. It's, like it's a, a school. It's like a. It's it's a great school. Yeah, it's like yeah. a residential school. Residential school. Um, Cause yeah, I, and I yeah. mean, eventually we'll figure out some. You know, when he's an adult, we'll figure out some kind of um, communal living thing for him because he really does like being around other kids like himself. It's been an improvement. He's he's much less. He, you know, he he. It was very violent at home for a while. And and that's pretty much gone away here, um, just because uh, he's in an environment that can support him twenty four seven and understands him more. And and I think also just being, we like this is where we are right now with him. It's like we're on top of a mountain in uh, New Hampshire. It's it's just beautiful, and it's you know there's there's foxes and 
birds and, and eagles and such and, and wonderful winds and a great lake. And I mean, like, there's just all of the, the, the world that here is, is so natural. It's so, it's so elemental and uh, calming and, and soothing and, 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 and really eliminate. Love. Yeah. We have to say goodbye. Yeah. Uh, so I want to make sure because <laughs> there's lots more to talk about with the, and your book, Strange Beauty, a portrait of my son, Eliza Factor. Uh, you can buy the book online, bookstores everywhere. Um, is there a website that we can go to for more information also about your yeah, organization? Think, we yeah, we say it in 15 it seconds. My, my, Eliza Factor, E-L-I-Z-A-F-A-C-T-O-R dot net. And that has links to everything. Okay. Dot to, net instead of dot whatever, N-E-T. Okay. Great. Great talking to yeah. you today. Enjoy Thank New Hampshire so and much. Felix. Yeah. <laughs> I will. You enjoy I'm, Cape Cod. I will. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Taramino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. 
Tune in every week for Sex Out Loud. Host Tristan Termino will discuss everything from sexual pleasure to sexual politics. Get an insider's perspective from leaders in the adult film industry, the LGBT community, and the sex-positive world. From kink to non-monogamy, nothing is off limits. Plus, you can call in to join the conversation. Sex Out Loud airs every Friday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com.